Bounce and blowout with him in 10 3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out a three on He swings, and it's a high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge bat flip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats presented by Mattress Firm. We have another great one for you today. Of course, our guest is going to join us in a little while, Nikki Lopez, shortstop for the Kansas City Royals. Off the top, we're going to round the bases with some storylines from the week that was. And man, are there some good ones and a lot of them. And then, of course, later we'll get to this week and Shohei Otani News, my favorite segment of all time. And this week's episode, what we're going to do is name some awards. It's September. We're halfway through September. The season is getting close to ending. I'm going to go through who I think is going to win all the major awards coming our way uh, after the season. And then, of course, we asked you guys on Twitter, so we'll talk a little bit about that as well. And when we finish up today, an, an extra inning segment, I have a fun one for you, all about sign stealing, tipping pitches, all that good stuff. So uh, you won't want to miss that. But off the top, Rounding the bases, first base is the 9-11 game that took place this past week. The Yankees and the Mets, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And uh, this was the, the Fox game that was on Saturday, and they did an awesome job. Now, look, it was, it was very, very emotional. And 9-11 and is one of those things where we all remember where we were. I remember where I was, Miss Jennings' class in fourth grade. Uh, in 2001. Another thing that we all remember, at least I for sure remember and a lot of sports fans do, is where we were uh, when we saw Mike Piazza hit that home run uh, against the Braves a few days later, the first game back. The, the home run heard around the world, really. Uh, it's something that all of, all of the country needed. It's one of the first, really one of my first sports memories uh, growing up, I was still fairly young at the time, and I just remember, you know, I, I, I remember it being super emotional. I remember it being a really cool moment, but I didn't quite have a grasp on the situation for a whole. Um, but this week was the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and the Yankees and the Mets played each other. And first off, hats off to whoever schedules this, because the schedules are made pretty far in advance. Whoever scheduled the Yankees and the Mets playing in New York on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, hats off to you. Awesome job. But this was the Fox game, and, and it was really, really well done. I watched the whole pregame ceremony. I watched the whole game, and it was emotional. It was very emotional. From, from the start, uh, there was an awesome feature done from uh, Tom Rinaldi did it and, and talked to all the you know, talked to Mike Piazza, talked to Chipper Jones. There was a whole feature that was shown. And it was really cool just talking about that home run that was uh, hit in 2001, talking about the, the day itself of the World Trade Center's uh, getting hit. It was very emotional. I was in tears, but it was just super, super well done, I thought. Um, from God Bless America to the teams intertwining for the anthem to the teams shaking hands pregame. It was special. It was special, and uh, it was a great game on the field. The pregame ceremony was awesome, and the Fox team, the broadcast, was so awesome from start to finish. So kudos to everybody involved in that uh, for, for what was a very emotional day in New York for that 9-11 20th anniversary game. 
But moving on to second base was that series in itself, the Subway Series, the Mets and the Yankees. What a series that was, by the way. The first game was a blowout. Mets win and a blowout. Um, so, you know, kicked it off great in New York and in Queens. The second game was that 9-11 game. But the staple game of this series, that took place on Sunday. The Sunday night game, Yankees and the Mets. And man, oh man, was there some drama. And I love drama. Well, I love being on the outside of the drama. I don't love being a part of it. But man, I was on the outside of this drama. And it was great. So let me walk you through this. During the game, Francisco Lindor, shortstop for the Mets, many, many, many million dollar man that hasn't had an awesome year. Um, he heard some whistling going on from the Yankees dugout. And he heard some whistling. He didn't know what it was about, but he heard different pitches of a whistle. So, you know, he had his thoughts on what was going on. So he hits a home run in the game. He ends up hitting three, but we'll get to that. He hits a home run. He's rounding the bases, and he does a little a whistle motion to, to the Yankees. Like, hey, you know, I know what's going on. I hear you whistling. He rounds home, gets to home. Giancarlo Stanton comes up. He hits a home run. He starts rounding the bases, and what does he do? He rounds second base, literally right in front of Francisco Lindor, stops in the bases. I've never seen this in a big league game. He stops in the base path starts talking to Francisco Lindor, saying like, hey, dude, that wasn't cool. Probably a little more expletives in there, but I'm not going to say those. Stops literally in the bases, starts pointing at each other. They start jawing at each other. The bench is clear. He continues around home. Um, and then what happens, of course, Francisco Lindor, with a tie game in the eighth inning, comes back up, hits a huge go-ahead bomb, his third home run of the game, uh, which was just the cherry on top of this game. They end up winning by one run. Uh, but let's listen in to what Francisco Lindor had to say post-game about that little interaction. Francisco, after one of those home runs, you looked like you whistled toward them. What was behind that? Um, yeah, Dustin. I, I, so I talking to Glaver. Uh, as I came around the bases, um, I, I did, did the sign of whistling. I, I can't whistle hard. Um, but, yeah, I did whistle. Um, it was just over the past couple of days, I can't accuse them of them um, whistling for the signs because I'm not 100% um, correct, but I know what I heard. And I felt like there was um, something out of the ordinary going on. And uh, yeah, I, I heard what I heard. I, I'm not accusing them. I'm not saying they're doing it 100% because I don't know 100%. But he definitely felt that way, and I took I took that personal. We um, I took that personal, and I, I wanted to put, you know, like runs on the board to help my team win. All right, so a few things to address here. What Lindor was talking about with the whole whistling thing was a, a sign stealing. He thought the Yankees were picking up on the starting pitcher's signs and then relaying it to the batter via different pitches of whistles. So when he rounded the bases and did a whistle motion, it was like, hey, I know what you're doing. Um, so I tweeted out about this, uh, about this whole whistle thing and what was going on and about picking up pitches in baseball and relaying to them, uh, relaying the signs to them. This is what I'm going to get into later in the episode. Before we finish up today, I'm going to go all into the art of 
tipping pitches, how to pick up on tipping pitches, how to relay that to the batter, how this has gone on forever and ever and ever. But that, in a nutshell, is what was happening here in this game and what Lindor was talking about. And then Stanton responded and didn't like what Lindor was doing. And then Lindor hits the huge bomb. Uh, so we're going to talk about that all later. What I want to say right now is that Francisco Lindor on Sunday night officially became a New York Met. He has struggled this year. He's had a tough year. He hit three bombs in a huge game Sunday night baseball against the Yankees. The packed house, Subway Series, he hits three home runs. The place is going wild. It's drama involved. Baseball needed this. The world loved watching this. This was awesome. This was an incredible, incredible baseball game. And Francisco Lindor was front and center of it. The multi, multi, multi million dollar man steps up, hits three bombs, makes a huge deal of it. Um, this, was the, this was the staple game for Francisco Lindor as a Met. He really, really needed this game. And he's the reason that they went on to win this game. Um, so kudos to the Mets. But what I love most of all is the drama that took place in that game. And, and what a series that was. The Subway Series was awesome. Uh, baseball needed it. Uh, so kudos again to everybody that scheduled it. It really seems like baseball this year is doing a great job of scheduling things in the middle of the regular season to get all eyes on baseball. The Field of Dreams game was, was knocked out of the park. They did an incredible job. All eyes were on that. Uh, scheduling the Yankees and the Mets Subway Series on the, the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and then um, making it the Sunday night baseball game the day after 9-11. Um, kudos to the schedulers of baseball because they have been doing an incredible job. And, and the Yankees and the Mets took it away from there and really made this series super special. So uh, shout out to the Yankees and Mets for, for bringing some drama to the baseball world because it was much needed and, and it was awesome. Um, but moving on, heading over to third base, Bryce Harper should be the most valuable player of the National League. Now, I don't know if it's going to happen, and before everybody gets all up in a dither, I love Fernando Tatis. I've been on record saying I think he's becoming the face of baseball. I love everything he stands for. I love the way he plays this game. He's having an incredible year. But it is mind-blowing to me that we're just assuming he's the MVP and this is all over with and he's the huge odds-on favorite to win MVP. Why? Why is that still the case? Let's, let's dive into this a little bit, okay? We're almost, the season is almost over. Both of these teams are, you know, the, the Phillies are a little further out of the playoffs, but it's not a foregone conclusion that they're not going to make it. The Padres, certainly it's not a foregone conclusion, so it's not like they're one of the best teams in baseball like we all thought they could be. So right there, let's pump the brakes a little on, on Tatis being MVP because we all know we like to have a winner. I, I don't even, I don't, I don't love that philosophy, but I get it. But let's really dive into it, all right? Bryce Harper on the year is hitting 307 with 32 bombs and a 1.032 on base plus slugging percentage. 307 on the year. I feel like this is very under the radar, and I don't understand why. Let's take a look at Tatis's numbers. He's hitting 283 on the year with 38 bombs and a 0.996 OPS. 
Do those numbers to you scream? Fernando Tatis is the MVP of the league. They don't to me. So I'm sitting here today telling you that this is not a foregone conclusion. Not only is it a foregone conclusion, I believe that Bryce Harper should be the MVP of the National League. I get it, Tatis plays a premier position. He just signed this super mega deal to stay in San Diego forever. And I love what he is doing this year. And I think that what he's doing this year after signing that mega deal is a large part of the reason that we're just assuming that he's the MVP. You know, everybody said all eyes were on him to start the year. Fernando Tatis, the young guy, taking the league by storm. He signs this huge deal. Was it the right thing to do? Should they have given him all this money before he proven himself? Well, he certainly has proven himself this year, and he certainly has proven that he's one of the best players in baseball. But is he the MVP of the National League? I think we kind of just, like, handed it to him before we actually looked at what's going on here. Bryce Harper's hitting over 300 with 32 bombs and an OPS over one, over 1,000. Just saying. I don't think this thing is wrapped up by any means. Bryce Harper in the last 18 games, he's hitting 400 with nine home runs and 20 RBIs and an OPS of 1.395. 18 games isn't a small sample size. But if you go back to even post-All-Star game, Bryce Harper has been on a tear for the ages. And I feel like we're just not talking about it enough. So I'm sitting here today to say that Bryce Harper should be the National League MVP. And again, that is no knock on what Fernando Tatis is doing out in San Diego. I love watching him. He is one of the most exciting players in this league. And he deserves all the, all the credit that he is getting for this year that he is having, especially coming off that huge mega contract and having the year he's having. But Bryce Harper, man, he's putting up MVP numbers. And it's time we start looking at him as possibly being the National League MVP. But moving on, rounding home, the AL wildcard picture. Whoa. I don't know if it's just because I'm like super, super wrapped up in all teams this year or what it is, but I certainly feel like this wild card race in the American League is the most exciting that we have seen in a long, long time. And a, and a big part of that is because it's all the teams in the AL East, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays. I'm going to talk about the Blue Jays again for a minute because they deserve to be talked about. In their last 13 games, they are 12-1. and one. At the beginning of September, they were uh, six and a half games behind the Yankees. The Yankees were in the number one spot for the wild card. The Blue Jays were six and a half games behind. The Red Sox were second in the wild card. The Blue Jays were four and a half games behind Boston. Let's fast forward not even two weeks from the beginning of September. What's going on now? Well, the Blue Jays are in the number one spot for that wild card. And the Yankees and the Red Sox are deadlocked for the second spot. So in the span of two weeks, the Blue Jays have made up all of this ground. How'd they do it? Well, in their last 13 games, they've gone 12-1. and one. That's a good start, I think. Uh, and, and, and four of those games were against the Yankees in New York. So this series 
was huge. I can't emphasize enough how big this series was. This could have been the end of it for the Blue Jays. They could have gone into New York and gotten swept or even split, and, and, and it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have felt right for the Blue Jays. But what they did is went in and swept the Yankees. In the Bronx, they swept them. In a four-game series. The Yankees got swept at home in a four-game series and never had the lead for the first time since 1908. That's what the Blue Jays did to propel themselves into the lead, and, and they've continued to be hot ever since. What they did the other day, they, they just annihilated the Orioles this past week. It just annihilated. They put up 22 runs in one game. Listen to this. The, the Blue Jays are the first team to score 27 runs in a four-game span. Or four-inning span, sorry, ever. The first team to score 27 runs in a four-inning span, ever. The previous record was 25 runs in a four-inning span. This team is hot. Nobody wants to face the Blue Jays right now. I'm telling you, they're dangerous. If they get in, they're dangerous. And they're in the driver's seat to get in right now. But this, this whole race is super exciting. You got the Yankees, who just totally fell off a cliff. They got really hot. They went all the way up the cliff, and then they fell right off the cliff. And now they're deadlocked with the Red Sox for the very last spot in the wild card. Uh, so those are the three teams that are really close. Look at this. I told you that the Blue Jays scored 27 runs in a four-inning span. They, they scored 22 runs in that game on Sunday, which I, I'm, I love this here. NFL is back. Football is back. But let's talk about what the Blue Jays did on Sunday by outscoring the Colts, the Jags, the Falcons, the Chargers, the, Redskin, the, the Washington football team, sorry, the Jets, the Panthers, the Titans, the Dolphins, the Patriots, the Giants, the Packers, the Bears, the Bills. They outscored all of them. The Blue Jays were playing football. That's what they're doing. That's why they're jumping up these standings as they are, because they stopped playing baseball. The football season started, and they started putting up football numbers. That's pretty impressive. So this race is exciting, and it's not just a three-way race. It's not just those teams. The Seattle Mariners are, 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 are there, <laughs> by the way. We, we all don't like to talk about the Mariners because, you know, like, are they really going to, are they really going to compete? Is that really happening? Yes. Yes, it's happening. The Mariners and the Red Sox kicked off a big series, and Mitch Hanniger, uh, Mitch Hanniger Monday night goes four for four with a bomb, a huge comeback win over the, over the Red Sox. They're two games back. This series is huge. Everybody was writing off the, everybody was writing off the Mariners. They don't have the better team. They lost to the Diamondbacks. Well, what they did was they packed Safeco or T-Mobile Park on Monday night and had a huge win against the Red Sox. So this race, man, if you don't have all of your eyes, both of them, all two, all your eyes on the AL wildcard race coming down the stretch, you're not watching baseball correctly. This is awesome. What the Blue Jays have done, the Yankees were the hottest and then the coldest team of all time. The Red Sox were leading the division for most of the year, and now they're grasping for a playoff spot. The, the Mariners, who are the, the most fun team, the most clutch team in baseball, 
they're being dubbed America's team. I don't know by who, but I've seen it a bunch, so they're dubbing them America's team. They're fun. Man, this entire race is super, super exciting to watch, and you need to watch the American League wildcard race down the stretch because, man, it's exciting. But let's get into it now. Let's invite in our guest, starting shortstop for the Kansas City Royals, my friend, Nikki Lope. Nikki, thank you for joining me, my friend. Thank you for having me, Ben. Uh, it's I've, been, I've been watching your, uh, your uh, interviews a lot, so I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it now. I'm, I'm pumped you're a part of it. And so here's, here's the quick story of me and Nikki. I feel like Nikki and I are really good friends. We've known each other forever. We haven't actually met in person, and we've known each other for years. I know your, your parents. I know your family in person. I know your fiance. We've played COD and Fortnite in every game you could possibly imagine, yet it hasn't yet happened in person. How is this possible? I, I don't know, but it's going it's to happen soon, and we'll, <laughs> we'll pick up right where we left off. But, yeah, like you said, it's, it's like we... Uh, you know, we're, we're great friends, but we have yet to meet in person. So um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that day. <laughs> so I, uh, I, as, as I said, I met your family before. I've met your dad who, I don't know, I, I feel like he may be the best athlete in the family, Nikki. I know you're hitting 300 at the big league level, but I hear he's in the softball hall of fame. Is that correct? He's in the, yeah, 16 inch softball hall of fame in Chicago. So what, if, people don't know it's it's a pretty big deal and um you don't use gloves and ball is like this big and um pretty 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 crazy game and actually before he became a softball star um he was actually a huge football star um he got a letter from Mike Dicka for the 85 Bears to to try out and he actually bruised his kidney so he wasn't able to able to go try out but um he was a huge football star oh my god what a stud what a stud. <laughs> All right, so Nikki, normally right, after, right off the top, we always get to some trivia questions. We have a leaderboard. Nick Cassianos is at the top of this leaderboard. So you got, you got some tough company here. You ready? You got 60 seconds. Here. All right, ready? Who was your first career home run off of? First career home run was off of, um, oh my God, lefty pitcher for the, the Tigers. Um, I can't think of his name. Boyd, Matt Boyd. Yes. Who was your first career hit against? Um, it was Ger Gerardo from the uh, Texas Rangers, the, yeah. a relief pitcher. Who's your first career strikeout against? Oh boy. Oh boy. They <laughs> do not know. Uh, where did you bat in your big league debut? Second. Yes. Jersey number for your debut? One. Who batted behind you in your debut? Was it Salvi? Salvador? No, Correct. Mondesi. First away game, where was it? Uh, LA against, against the Angels. There were two starting pitchers in your debut. Who were they? Uh, Time. There was... Jesus. Matt Boyd. It stumped you for... For two minutes, it I don't, seemed. That's something way longer than it should have because. Um, <laughs> it's your first big league homer. You don't have but so many, Nikki. You got to remember the first one. 
Well, when you said trivia questions, you you stumped me off the off, right off the get go. I was very very. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know what. To do. All right, um, all right. So I want to go back a little bit in your career to Creighton, because you know I went back, was doing some prep here, and looked at your Creighton days, um, and personally, I I had quite the jump from my sophomore to, to junior year and had a big change um, and, and went through a lot. And from your sophomore to junior year, you did as well. Uh, you went from hitting under 250 to over 300. Um, was it something like, what changed going into that junior year? Was it just you getting bigger and stronger or what was it? Yeah, so my sophomore year was a, was a pretty tough year, um, both not really academically, but like, you know, it kind of took a hit once you get to baseball season. Um, I hurt my knee. Um, I tore my meniscus, um, which kind of um, hindered me from playing, obviously. And then um, when I came back, because I rushed to come back because I wanted to play, uh, just wasn't really, nothing was really clicking. Um, but what really helped me was that off season, I went and played in the, um, in the Coastal Plains League. And I did really well there. That's when I started getting um, some uh, scouts looking at me, uh, some teams that were, you know, wanted to interview me. And then that kind of was a confidence boost. And then going in the next season, I was like, all right, well, if all these teams are talking to me, I might have a shot of getting drafted. And, um, you know, they throw out the numbers of projections of where you might get yeah. drafted, what rounds. And um, when I was hearing those projections, that kind of, you know, gave me another confidence boost. And uh, I just wanted to go out there and, you know, if this is my shot to do it, I, I want to prove to them that I, I can. And um, I had my best season yet. Yeah. And then you go on to get drafted. And this is where we start getting to know each other. And we're, I feel like we're playing Call of Duty every night. And you, you end up in the fall league. And I remember this like it was yesterday. You hit 380-something in the fall league. What, what was that, dude? Like, how... What happened there? Like it all, it all clicked for you. And then from there, your career propelled. Right. So I was, um, I got called up for the, the second half of the double A season. That's where I ended that, that year. They told me I was going to be a priority player at the fall league. So I was going to play a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really know what to expect. Obviously when you, after you play a, a long season, all you, all you're looking forward to is the off season to kind of chill yeah. And then, you know, get into a group again. Um, but I had to go in and play in the fall league. So I was like, all right, um, I'm going to play a lot. And when I got there, actually, the hitting coach for the Cardinals was our hitting coach for our team. And uh, he actually made a, a minor tweak to my, you know, my swing and also my setup. I was very wide. I was really into my legs and uh, a lot of moving parts. And he actually kind of, um, kind of shortened me up kind of get, got me a little bit of rhythm. He said, he told me you're a rhythm hitter, um, which made a lot of sense to me. And uh, I actually picked up a Tucci bat that it felt really, really good. And I used that the whole um, <laughs> fall, the whole fall league. And uh, it just, everything was, I was hitting everything. Every ball was hit hard and uh, it was awesome. It was, it was a, a life-changing experience for sure. Dude, I've always said and thought that I feel like hitting is like, it's all done in so many different ways, but in the end, it's all done very similar. Like there's so many differences and so many similarities in how a swing works. It all comes down to like being able to take some words and like 
use them to like it, it making it make sense in your head and having one person one day say something that you're just like oh wow that makes a lot of sense because you hear so much crap throughout your life of do this and do this and do this and to have one guy come and say hey you're a rhythm hitter and it just like clicks it's like oh yeah that's great and I feel like having that one guy make make so much sense of it is kind of all you need at a certain level to let it click and then propel your career yeah absolutely so that was one thing that kind of stuck in my head and then I always say the power of positive thinking so when if you're thinking something um and you're like wow this this is actually going to help and you believe in it and you buy into it I mean it's crazy how the game works and um you know, little do you know, then you just then you're squaring up balls, and you're like, "Wow, it's because I'm a, I'm a rhythm hitter," <laughs> and it's just funny how that works. So yeah, you're so, right. You're, t- you're definitely so. And this is where I I want to get your opinion because when when I was playing pro ball, I would really struggle with the opposite of that. Um, and as you know, if you start thinking negatively, you're you're gonna perform poorly. But it's so hard to have a game where you go over four you're fine. The next night you go 0 for 4, then it's like, oh God. And, and then you go 0 for 4 again, and then you're screwed. I, I, I was screwed. I'd go home. It's all I would think about. Our, one of our best friends, Mike Gerber, we were staying together in the Florida State League, and we'd both go home and literally just scream into our pillows at night. We were so frustrated and thinking so negatively. How would you, when you go through stretches of 0 for 4, 0 for 4, 0 for 4, you see your average coming down on the scoreboard every time you walk up, how do you mentally try and transition it back to a positive mindset because it's not just as easy as a uh, positive mindset time. It's, it's very difficult to actually do that. Yeah. So that was, that was the case last year. Um, I was very negative. Um, last year kind of slapped me in the face. Uh, I, was, I didn't do very well. didn't hit very well. I was hovering right around that Mendoza line and um, I would go home and last year was very different too, because we had to go right to the hotel to the stadium right after the stadium back yeah. to the hotel. So there was, there was no like, Oh, I'm going to go get a drink or I'm going to go get some dinner um, with some friends to kind of, you know, unwind. Um, you're, you're going right back to that hotel and you were thinking about it. And yeah. one thing that, that has helped me this year after I got sent down in, in spring training, uh, which was a huge blessing in disguise, but um, I created a routine and, um, that's something that kind of, when I was going off the, you know, the rails earlier this season, I think I went through a streak of like one for 30. I stayed positive the whole time knowing that, Hey, I'm going to believe in this routine. I, I know this works. I'm going to, I'm going to stick to it and I'm going to get out of it. And, uh, you know, the power of positive thinking is pretty crazy. And, uh, that's something I just kind of, I kind of not reinvented myself, but I kind of started believing in, in my routine. And I never really had a routine before. I would just go and play and, you know, whatever happens, happens. But I think this routine is very, you know, and beneficial for me. What is it? Walk me through this routine a little bit. Well, just kind of, you know, going to the field, doing kind of the same thing. It's, it's not really being superstitious, but, um, you know, doing the same thing every single day. And then when you get into the, into the cages, just doing, um, you know, T, not T work, but, you know, flips, overhand flips. I always do overhand flips every single day, you know, doing step back drill, getting my body right, um, you know, to deliver the barrel to the ball and just doing that every single day. Um, and it's something that I never really did. I would, I would just go in, I would take some front flips. I would maybe hit off the, 
you know, the tee or I would hit off of a coach's arm and then I would just go play. And, you know, when you start struggling and you don't stick to a, a plan, um, you know, things can unwind very quickly. And when I got sent down uh, in spring training, you know, thankful for JJ Pocola and uh, Alex Zumwalt, you know, they, they created a routine for me and was like, Hey, this is going to, this is going to help you. This is what your, your body needs to perform. And um, I've stuck with it this whole year. Yeah. So being in the minor leagues is something that, and, and I talked to everybody about this one, because it's the highest level I experienced. So obviously you got to a level that I, I didn't get to and, and didn't experience, but I also know that baseball is very unique and that every single person goes through the grind of the minor leagues. It doesn't matter who you are. It, it is a grind for everyone. And you do walk away with stories and lessons that you'll remember for the rest of your life. So hit me with, with one story or one thing you'll, you'll take with you and remember th for the rest of your life from your minor league days. Maybe the, I mean, Tulsa was always a great place for me. I don't know why <laughs> I hit my first ever uh, cycle in in like cycle in a row. So I hit the single, double, triple. Oh, then I hit the home sick. Run. It was a natural cycle. That was the only, you know, only time I've ever done it. Hit the home run the last time and then hit a single the next next at bat. So I was like five for five. I was feeling great. <laughs> I think it was probably two days later. We were still at Tulsa. And the, I don't know if you've seen this viral video, but the German Shepherd got loose on the field and I, it actually ran to me. And you know how much of a dog love that was. A, this went viral. Yeah, it went viral. So like, yeah. I'm, it's, it's a viral clip that I'll always remember. And it always comes up like every single year, but this German Shepherd runs to me and I, I grab it, obviously, and I was playing fetch with this dog. On <laughs> um, Tulsa was always great, and then um, you know I'll, I'll just never, I'll never forget the, you know, twelve plus hour bus rides from Arkansas all the way to Texas, all the way to you know Corpus Christi and all that. So I, I will never forget that with the with the squad. So yeah, I absolutely remember that story. It was, it was the dog got away, and you were playing fetch with this dog on the field, and it went viral. That was all. Anytime I can get a chance to talk about dogs, I will do it. So talk to me about Hank. I know you've had Hank on your cleats. Uh, let me let me know. Talk to me about Hank. Hank is a, uh, I call him my house hippo. He's just a <laughs> beast of a beast of a dog. Um, my dad's best friend. Uh, so right when I got drafted, I actually. Me and my dad went, you know, they were gonna be empty nesters. So I was like, hey, let's go, let's go look look at dogs. And right when we were looking at dogs, we we found the perfect one and it was Hank. And um, you know, that's that my parents love him. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to have my dog back, and they they're just not giving up. So. <laughs> it's better that he's there, but uh, you know, Hank's Hank's my house hippo for sure. Those cleats turned out sick, by the way. You had Hank on we we'll got we'll have to put up a picture of him. Absolutely. Yeah, no, they, um, they did a great job. So here's a question. You, you recently got engaged to Sydney, and congratulations on that, by the way. So my question to you would be, were you more nervous for your first big league at bat or to propose to Sydney the other day? I was nervous to propose, to be honest. You know, I, obviously I had, some, I had some butterflies for my first big league at bat. Um, you know, a lot of fans, standing ovation. Um, but once that first pitch came, I was like, okay, it's, it's just a regular at bat. But when you when you have the ring in your pocket and you're like, <laughs> going into it, I was like, I don't know how, 
I'm going to do it. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't, to, to be honest, I don't even remember what I said. But I'm, <laughs> You blacked out. Like, I don't want to drop this ring. I want to I want to be able to flip the box correctly. I don't want it to like be upside down. <laughs> so there's a lot that goes into it. But I was, uh, yeah, I was definitely nervous for sure. <laughs> I got to admit, once it's in your pocket, it's burning a hole. That's So many people were giving that Florida State player crap the other day because they lost to Jacksonville State or something, and he proposed after the game. And it's like, that thing was ready to go. He was not waiting any longer. <laughs> exactly. And Sydney was, not that she was on, on to me, but she was, uh, I was wearing a jacket, and it was like 80 degrees in, in, in Chicago. And like, why are you wearing a jacket? I have, the, I have the ring inside my pocket. I'm like, you know, it might get cold tonight. That's by the lake. So. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, okay, so this year, you, you know, it, I thought you were going to make the team out of spring. I think I, from talking to you, you thought you were, and then it didn't happen. And you, you get sent down. And I, you said earlier, it was a blessing in disguise. Um, what happened? I know you said it was a blessing in disguise. You go down, you're now back up, an injury happened. That's the reason you came back up so quickly, and now you're hitting 300. What happened when you went down? Yeah, so I, I got obviously pulled into the office. Um, new cuts were co coming today. Didn't think it was going to be me, but pulled me in the office, said, hey, we're going we're gonna to send you down. Um, we want you to kind of regroup, focus on, you know, what you have to do at the plate because uh, – they, they know the defense is there, but they said, you know, we wanted you to focus at the plate. And um, when you're ready, you're, you'll come back up. And I was pissed. <laughs> I was I was mad. Um, I went home. I don't think I really talked very much that day. But then I quickly, you know, because you get like three days. If you get sent down, you get those three days if you want to yeah. take them. I went the next day and I hit for an hour and a half with with Zumwalt, Alex Zumwalt and, and JJ. But the first like. 30 minutes an hour we were we sat in we sat in the uh this like room and they pulled up videos and of 2018 2018 i had my best year in the minor leagues um and we just watched what i did in 2018 my setup the way i attacked the baseball um you know laying off pitches uh you know they brought up all this you know these stats of you know i was missing i was missing the fastball at like a 30 percent clip um from 2020 to 20 to spring training yeah. which is just not not good at all no not great <laughs> and, uh, then we went to the cages and i i was like all right i'm gonna emulate what i did in 2018 and i'm just gonna bring it to the cages so i set up i brought the setup back i i was moving the bat a lot i was uh you know just kind of like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna try to be that that kid again um and then obviously unfortunate circumstances Mondi got hurt and you never want to get called up due to an injury. Um, I don't care who it is, but um, I just, you know, that was maybe my break and I just had to take advantage of it. And, um, you know, luckily I was able to help the team win and, you know, help the team every single day. And now I'm helping the team on everyday basis, which is, which is something I want to do. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome, man. And, and I know he got hurt early in the year, unfortunately, but it, I, it seems like, it was literally best case scenario for you to not start the year in the big leagues, go through that, you know, that experience you did and come back up literally after like a week and then have a great season so far, man. You're hitting 300. You mentioned the defense was there. I'm going to go on record and say Nikki Lopez deserves the gold glove award 
by the way, give it to him. How much would that mean to you? Because you are in contention for the Gold Glove. It is a real possibility right now, and, and I know defense means a lot to you. Right. De yeah. I mean, going back to Creighton, I uh, learned a lot from Ed Service. Obviously, you know, he's a defensive guru, and um, but it would mean it would mean so much to me. Um, just knowing all the hard work and um, you know the dedication that you kind of put into with the de on the defensive side and. Obviously, personal accolades, you know me, um, is not something I really care for. I want to I want to win. I want to play, you know, hard and, you know, play for the team. But, you know, it would it would mean a lot to me. And, um, you know, coming close last year at second base and now maybe um, having a chance of winning it this year um, definitely definitely would uh, would be great. Yeah. And it's it doesn't help that you're you're hitting well or doesn't hurt that you're hitting well this year they always say it doesn't matter but trust me it matters and you hitting well this year that that might be the little the boost you needed that's that might be why you didn't get it last year but this year you're gonna get it I agree yeah I think I think you're right um all right so I have a few questions that I ask everyone you know three like career moments sort of questions the first of which is what was like your welcome to the big leagues moment Oh, I tell the story a lot. So we, my first, well, actually, you know, it's a, it's a combination of, of two things. Um, my first ever, um, flight, big league flight was to LA to play the angels. And it was also dad's dad's trip. So I actually got to spend my first flight ever in the big leagues with my dad, which was, oh, which cool. is something very special. Um, so we flew to LA and I got a, I got a single in the first inning, but at first base was Albert Pujols. And that's when I'm I'm standing on first base with someone I literally admire and someone that I've looked up to and watched and drafted in M MVP 05 and 04, <laughs> you know. Um, and I'm standing there and I remember him saying like, he, he actually stole the, the shift, because um, we have a card in the back pocket, the shift card out of my back pocket and put it into his. And that's when I was like, I kind of just blacked out. I don't even know what I said to him. I probably called him like Mr. Pujols or something. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I, I need that back. And he's like, you just made your debut. And I was like, absolutely, yeah, like, thank you. And I was, I, he asked me, um, you know, when? I was like, a week ago. And then I asked him, like, when did you make your debut? And he said, uh, in 01. And I was like, oh, nice. And he's like, how old were you in 01? I was like, I was six years old. And he goes, wow, I need to retire. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Never, I'll never forget that interaction with Albert Pools. That is so awesome, man. Yeah, yeah you're not forgetting so, that one. Um, no, definitely not going to. All right, so the next would be, what is your favorite play that you've made in your career on the baseball field? Favorite play? Does this have to be uh, on, the, on the defensive end, or can it be any play? Whatever you want. Anything, anything you've done on the field, what's your favorite? Well, my first home run that was off of, um, obviously, Matt Boyd um, was at TD Ameritrade. So my first ever big league home run was at my college stadium. Um, That's so cool. What we obviously played for, you know, the uh, College World Series where we, you know, it was a tip off or whatever, whatever they called it. And um, was able to hit a home run the same spot that I hit my last home run at, at TD Ameritrade right in the bullpen. So Whoa. it was like the same exact hit. And um, obviously, actually, there's a funny story about that is that ESPN blacked out right before my at bat. So ESPN didn't get it. My parents didn't get it back home. No one even saw it. 
I think I have like a clip of <laughs> cell phone in the stands that caught it. That's about it. That's all I got. So, so it's a big league home run and there's like no record of it. <laughs> Literally, I don't, I don't have the live feed of my, my first big league home run. I have a, uh, a fan that's sitting in section 130. <laughs> yeah, no wonder you couldn't remember your favorite play on the field. It almost didn't. It almost doesn't even exist. <laughs> exactly. so, All right. People were giving me slack, or um, you know, they're giving me because I hit a home run at TD Ameritrade, and then my next one was at, at Camden, and then they're like, "When are you gonna hit like an actual home run at a real stadium?" And I'm like, oh. <laughs> "I finally got that one off, man, uh, last year." So. <laughs> All right. If you were commissioner for a day, Nikki, put yourself in the shoes of the commissioner of Major League Baseball. If you were commissioner for the day, what is one rule that you would put in or take out for the betterment of the game of baseball? See, I don't. All these rules, like the the rules that they're putting in, I know you know a lot of people have a lot of opinions on them because. You know, you don't want to change the game too much. Um, you know, I personally like the universal DH. Um, I did, but I know that's that's also, you know, there's a lot of mixed feelings on that. If I'm going to go the fun route, though, because mm-hmm. I, I know we were talking about the fun route, um, and you know me with dogs, I think it, it should be necessary for each team to have a dog in their clubhouse. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were, put, we were putting this um, – I was saying this to, I think it was Wit or one of my other teammates, is that this dog doesn't know if you went 0 for 4 or you went 4 for 4. It's still going to love you. And I think that's what, that's what, uh, I think that's what baseball needs is a little, you know, something to decompress. So, so a required a therapy dog required. in the clubhouse. Exactly. Or on the bench, one of the two. Well, I mean, if it's going to be in the clubhouse, it's got to come down to the bench during the game. So the, the, well, the, I always get jealous because I, you know, I see those bat dogs, you know, the um, the ones that you know run literally on the field to pick up the bat. Yeah, I've never played against a team that had that, so I wouldn't, you know, that'd be cool. Wow, I love that. Might be my favorite idea this far. Every team needs to have a dog that ends up on the bench in the game. So if you get out instead of having nothing there, you can just go pet the dog, and the dog's gonna love you just as much as anybody. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Um, Nick, talk to me about Salvador Perez and the year he's having, because I, I, I watch your games in large part for you and I, I see what he's doing and it is special. It's very special. And, and you're right there every, every game, every day. So talk about what he's doing this year. The amount of, you know, work that he puts in before a game to, to, you know, Get, keep his body right and then the amount of like work that he puts in the cages and you know to go out and compete every single day um if it wasn't for you know an unfortunate you know stomach illness or virus that he had you know i think it was like maybe food poison or something he was going to play 162 and as a catcher that's that's crazy um and now he's on a you know record pace um and it, and it couldn't happen to a better dude and he he works his butt off um, the balls that he hits, like the, the, the furthest, hardest thing I've ever seen, like it comes off his bat a little different. And, um, 
you know, to be a part of it and to be on the same team as him um, is, is definitely something very special. And uh, I think something we're going to look back to and, and be like, wow, I've, I've played with a Hall of Fame catcher because I really think that's where that's where his career is going. How does he how do you play 162 as a catcher? I've never even like I didn't even know that was possible. How what does he do to prepare his body to, to for this? Because it's an, it's incredible. Yeah, a lot of I mean, a lot of treatment, obviously, um, you know, a lot of, you know, the hot tub, cold tub. And then he also he works out probably like three to four times a week, too. So on yes. top of him, on top of him, you know, doing treatment and playing, you know, close to 162, he's also working out three to four times a week, which is something that not a lot of people is obviously the dog days, you know, you know, come to September, August, September. You don't you don't want to do anything. You want to just go to the ballpark. You want to. <laughs> get your treatment or whatever, go take some swings in the cages and then go and play. He's uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a workhorse and he's, he's special. He's definitely special. Yeah. It's incredible. And speaking of what goes on behind the scenes to get yourself ready, I have to ask you about Shohei Otani. You got to play against him this year. What he does off the field to prepare is, is in my opinion, the, the most impressive thing of all of this to be able to start on the mound and, and play every day and hit every day. You got to play against him. What what was it like just playing against a guy that is having arguably the most impressive season in the history of the game of baseball? Oh, absolutely. You know, these are one of the you know, you don't see these this generation or generational player like you know you don't see him. And to be able to see him do what he's doing with the bat and then also on the mound, and you know, luckily we didn't have to face him, um, which would have been pretty cool, but. Um, I, I always say that, you know, standing at shortstop or standing in the infield, um, you kind of, you got to be ready. Um, you know, when we're playing the Yankees, you see all those big boppers. You're like, all right, this ball can come at me 110 plus miles per hour. You got to be ready. And that's, that's something that, you know, Shohei in the box, you're like, okay, this ball can, this ball is going to come at me pretty hard. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that I can, you know, tell my kids about, yeah, I played against this guy. He's the modern day, obviously Babe Ruth. I know people are comparing him because he plays, you know, pitcher and hitter and hitter. So it's, it's something very special. And I'm, I'm just happy to be a part of it in the same era as him. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, Nikki, talk to me about Nikki's number ones, because it's pretty cool what you're doing. Yeah. Nikki's number ones is a uh, charity that I've, I'm I have just started and um, you know, it's kind of picking it up here and there um you know as of late but it's um you know just a chair charity just to get you know the youth involved and give them a positive role model in the in kansas city and i look to obviously make it a little bit bigger than kansas city but right now it's um i help with you know the uh operation breakthrough um which is a you know a underprivileged uh you know youth academy around here that they might not have a positive role model, male male role model in their life. Um, and then I do the uh, YMCA Challenger program, who helps the uh, you know the special needs kids and the you know the adapted kids. And it's something I take a lot of pride in, and I want you know these kids to know that I'm here for them. Um, whether it's you know them messaging me, whether it's them meeting me, um, you know at Kauffman Stadium, I. I right now with COVID, all these rules, um, you have to stick to just um zoom which is very unfortunate but you know hopefully i'll bring them to Kauffman stadium have a day uh with me what is what it's like to 
you know, be a big league player and uh, kind of just be a positive role model for them and just, you know, know that I'm there for them if they ever need anything and, um, you know, just kind of give them a light in their, their eye for sure. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. But, dude, thank you so much for joining me. We got to get back on the COD grind soon. I know we'll be playing yeah. soon. So uh, thanks again. Nikki Lopez, gold glove. It's, th it's happening this year. You're winning it. Uh, thanks again for joining me, man. Good luck the rest of the year, and uh, come back on whenever you want. Absolutely. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate it, man. I'll uh, hopefully see you soon, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get on. <laughs> All right, buddy. See ya. All right, and I wanted to thank Nicky Lopez again for joining me. What an awesome guy and an incredible year he is having for the Kansas City Royals, so keep an eye on him for the potential Gold Glove Award at shortstop. And now it is time for my favorite segment I do this week in Shohei Otani news presented by Mattress Firm. So talk to an expert and unjunk your sleep today. I have, I promise you guys, you will not regret it. I have unjunked my sleep and I actually get fantastic sleep now. So unjunk your sleep today. But let's get into it with my favorite segment this week in Shohei Otani news. He hit his 44th home run as a pitcher and I'm going to explain to you why Shohei Otani is the MVP over Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So let's get into it with his 44th home run he hit earlier this week. Now the coolest part of this one for me was that I called it. I called this home run happening. I sent out a tweet a little while before the game and I said I'm predicting a Shohei Otani home run tonight. Here's a good luck photo. Now this photo comes from right after I got my wisdom teeth taken out and I had that wrap of ice around my head wearing my Showtime shirt. And that's what this picture is from. But it is now my good luck Shohei Otani shirt. So I predicted the home run happening. He was also pitching that night. So he comes out, pitches his first at bat of the night. The first at bat after I tweeted this tweet and photo. He hits an absolute laser beam bomb to right field. Laser beam bomb for his 44th of the year. That is incredible. 44. So there was a cool tweet about the stats behind this home run that I found really interesting from Sarah Lang. So when he hit that home run, it came off the bat at 114.7 miles an hour. So the 44th homer was 114.7 mile an hour exit velocity. That's the fourth hardest hit batted ball by anyone as a pitcher. So if you're pitching that game, that's the fourth hardest hit ball ever since StatCast became a thing in 2015. Otani owns the top five. So his 44th was the fourth hardest hit home run of any pitcher that is pitching uh, since this stat was created. He also owns one through five. They're all Shohei Otani's. I mean, it's just incredible. It's mind-blowing. He is the MVP. He's going to win it. What he's doing is spectacular. On the mound, at the plate, on the bases, everything he does is spectacular. So it had been a little while since he had hit a home run, so I went on record with my lucky shirt on and said, you know what? He's hitting a home run today. And in his first at bat, he did just that. He hit his 44th home run. Propelling 
his season even further. His numbers are getting even better and just juicing his numbers in this 2021 American League MVP campaign. Now, let me talk to you about this whole MVP race because as Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has caught him and passed him in home runs because he now owns the league lead with one more than him. He's at 45. More and more people are starting to say, yeah, Vlad is the MVP. I love Vladimir Guerrero. I love what he is doing. I love the season he is having. But he's not the MVP. He's having an MVP type of season. And if it weren't for Shohei Otani, he'd be the MVP, hands down. But what we're seeing is the greatest season that we may have ever seen. So I want to explain why Shohei Otani is the MVP, why hands down this is happening, why he's a 50 to 1 favorite to win MVP. Vladimir Guerrero is having a better year offensively. He just is. He has 45 home runs now. He has an average that is better than Shohei's around 300. He has 100 RBIs. Offensively, he's having the better year. You know who's also having a great year offensively? Shohei Otani. With 44 bombs, with 20-plus stolen bases, he's doing it all on the offensive side. He's scoring tons of runs, but, but most impressively, he's hitting balls out of the yard, and he's doing it in very exciting fashion and hitting absolute laser beams. But, so, so just to reiterate, that's not the reason that he's MVP. If it were just offensive, sure, give it to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. We're missing a totally different side of his game. That's only half of Shohei Otani's game. Half. And he's in comparison to Vlad as an MVP on the offensive side. But let's go look at his pitching, where he's 9-2, he throws 100 miles an hour, he has the best pitch that we've arguably ever seen in his splitter, which brings me to this stat. Of all the pitches thrown at least 400 times by all pitchers since Otani joined the majors, his splitter is the most difficult pitch to hit of anybody. Batters have hit just .069 against Otani's splitter with only 11 hits over four years. None of those hits being a homer. 11 hits and 159 at-bats for an average of .069. I love looking at the other names on this list. Johnny Venter's slider, Steve Ciszek's four-seam fastball, Zach Britton's slider, and Dylan Maple's slider. Shohei Otani is better than all of them. The best pitch in baseball since he has come into this league. So not only does he have the best pitch, he's also striking guys out at an incredible clip. He also has uh, a win percentage unlike we've seen in a long time, a 9-2 record on the mound. Hopefully he's able to get to that double-digit win mark. But it's incredible what he's doing on the pitcher side. He was in the AL Cy Young conversation up until a, a, a couple weeks ago. So on the offensive side, he's in the MVP conversation. On the pitching side, he's in the Cy Young conversation. You put it all together and what do you have? A, a hands-down unanimous MVP. That's what you have. What makes me so impressed by all of this is what's happening off the field. Um, it's impressive. Uh, what he does off the field to prepare 
is unlike anything I've ever seen. And, and, and I wish I could, I wish I could sit down with him and talk to him about what he's doing off the field because as a position player in college that also pitched, I couldn't do it. To do it at the professional level, it is a full-time job to prepare yourself to pitch every fifth day. It is a full-time job. You're not just taking every other day off that you're not starting on the mound. You have bullpens, you have side sessions, you have therapy, you have workouts, you have more flat grounds. You're, you're doing all of this, and he's doing all of that while also preparing to hit. I don't understand it. I don't understand how it's possible. That's why I love this so much. Not only because of what he's doing on the field, because of what he's doing off the field. That's why I sleep on this Shohei Otani pillow every night. Just kidding. I don't really. It, it's, it's on my couch. <laughs> but that's why I love it so much. And he's transcending the game of baseball. This season is about more than what's going on on the field. This season is about a player doing something that has never been done in history. This season is about a player coming over from Japan and transcending the league and bringing in a whole new audience, bringing in a whole new country into watching what he is doing, into wanting him to succeed, and he's doing it, into bringing in a whole new level and, and to showing kids growing up in Japan that this can be done. You can go into the, the Japanese professional league and make it in America and be one of the best players of all time. It's showing, it's showing kids in America that you can grow up and you don't have to pick. I was told all throughout my career, you're going to have to pick one or the other. You know that, right? Nobody does both. Nobody's able to make it as both. And I'm glad I was told that because I wasn't good enough. I didn't throw 100. And I didn't hit balls 100 million miles an hour off the bat for 44 home runs. I did have to pick one because I wasn't good enough to be able to take the time to do both. But he is. And he's showing people that it's possible. He's transcending the game of baseball. He's an MVP type player on the offensive side. He's a Cy Young type player off the field. And he's changing baseball and how we know it for the better. And that is why Shohei Otani is the hands down MVP of this league. That's why I love what he's doing. That's why I wear his shirts all the time. That's why I have the pillows. That's why this set looks like it does. Because of Shohei Otani and what he means to the game of baseball. And that's why he's the MVP. You know, one thing that I always dreamed of as a kid was being on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Always. I thought it'd be the coolest thing in the world. It's so hard to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. You know who is? You know who is right now? Shohei Otani. It's a split cover. There's a cover of him pitching, and there's a cover of him hitting. The title on it said, he's not the new Babe Ruth. He's more amazing than that. I wrote an article earlier this year saying exactly that. It's talking about comparing the two, what Shohei Otani is doing, to what Babe Ruth did, and, and, and he is better. And I ended the article by saying, you know, what we're seeing from Shohei Otani isn't just comparable to Babe Ruth, it's better. And now more and more people are starting to see that. He is the MVP, he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated, he's taking America by storm while a whole other nation is watching. It's special, it's special, and it has changed the game of baseball for the better and forever. It's changed the game of baseball forever.
what we're seeing from him this year. And that's why Shohei Otani is hands down the American League MVP for this 2021 season. My man, and that is why I have an entire segment about him because it fires me up talking about him. I just want people to realize what we're seeing. It's so special, and we will never see anything like this. this is, we never have seen anything like this. This is the greatest season that we've ever seen. And that's why he's the MVP. That's why I talk about him. That's why I wear the shirts. That's why I have this set, because of Shohei Otani. And that does it for this week in Shohei Otani news, my favorite segment that I have where I get to talk all about him and everything he's done throughout the week. And this week, he hit 44 bombs. He pitched. He stole bases. He did it all. And he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And that is why he's going to be the MVP. That does it for this week in Shohei Otani news. All right, so... We are halfway through September. So what I want to do now is go through all of my awards, who I think is going to win all of the major awards uh, at season's end. The MVP, the Cy Young, the Rookie of the Year, the Manager of the Year, all of that. So I want to bring out my producer, Conrad, to feed me all of these. We asked all of you on Twitter this week, at Pod on Twitter. So if you don't, make sure you follow it. Uh, but we asked everybody who's going to win these awards. I had my answers. I answered who I think is going to win all of them. So my producer, Conrad, is coming out to feed me all of these, and we will discuss my answers. All right, up first, this one kind of shocked me, Ben. AL MVP, Shohei Otani? Yeah, yeah. This was, uh, this was the easiest one for me, for sure. Um, look, he's doing something that has never been done before. I understand that Vladimir Guerrero is having a great year, uh, he's having a fantastic year. But Shohei Otani is doing stuff that has never been done in the history of this game. That's, it, it's, it's a no-doubter in my mind. It's not even a conversation. Shohei Otani is the American League MVP. All right. Up next, we have the NL MVP, Fernando Tatis Jr. Look, I know off the top of the show I discussed why I think it should be Bryce Harper but I think it will be Fernando Tatis. And look, I'm in, when I answer these, I want to do them how I think it will go down, not how I, how I want it to go down. I think Fernando Tatis is going to win, and I think it's in large part because of how popular he was coming into this season. Oh, he's the young phenom. He signs the biggest deal that we've ever seen. Was this done correctly? Should they have done this? The answer to that question is certainly. This was a great deal. Uh, and he came out and, and is demolishing the league and having a fantastic year. But is he having a better year than Bryce Harper? I don't know. But I do know that I think Fernando Tatis will win the National League MVP. Gotcha. Then we have the AL Cy Young, Robbie Ray. That's right. Friend of the pod, Robbie Ray. Now, look, this, he's not the favorite right now. Garrett Cole is the favorite to win this. But should he be? Is he, is, he only, is he only doing it because he's the, the ace of the New York Yankees? Look at these stats. Look at this. And this was before Robbie Ray's last start. And actually, Garrett Cole is currently out injured. But why is this a foregone conclusion? It's not. Robbie Ray is now 220 strikeouts, so, so more strikeouts than Garrett Cole. He has a better ERA. He has a 2.69 ERA now. He has an 11-5 record. Why is this a foregone conclusion? It shouldn't be. Garrett Cole is now missing time. Robbie Ray is putting up better statistics. And for that reason, especially if the Blue Jays get into the playoffs, what they've done now, are you kidding me? Robbie Ray should be the favorite. 
But he's my favorite, and I think he's going to win this. I think Robbie Ray is the American League Cy Young winner. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Love to hear it. We're going to go into NL Cy Young, Max Scherzer. Yeah, you know what? This one, when I think about this, and he's not the favorite either. Uh, Walker Bueller, friend of the pod, and Corbin Burns are still the favorites right now. Uh, when I think about this one, it hurts. I, I, Jacob deGrom going down is all I can think of. He was having the best year of all time for a pitcher, so that sucks. Um, but look, I, I can't overlook what Max Scherzer has done. One, his 3,000th strikeout came just the other day. That matters. The year my brother won Cy Young Award, he had his 3,000th strikeout this year, and he was kind of neck and neck with Garrett Cole that year. And I really think having those milestones throughout the year matters. And he had his 3,000th strikeout this year. And, and what he's done since he's gotten to the Dodgers, since that trade, get this, eight starts, a 6-0 and record. His team has won every game, though. All eight games that he started, they've won. He's done 51 innings, 72 strikeouts, five walks, and a 0.88 ERA. What? Was he, was he the best acquisition at the trade deadline, you would yeah, say? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That trade, that trade in itself was the best, which I've discussed. But he himself, I think, will go down as, as the best trade. But if, if the Dodgers don't win the World Series, the whole thing was a bust, and this year's a fiasco. This roster is built to win. But Max Scherzer, certainly the best acquisition to this point. I mean, the numbers he's putting up are incredible. One of four pitchers to strike out 3,000 batters and to throw multiple no-hitters and have and multiple Cy Youngs. I mean, that's, that's special. So, yeah, I, I know he's not the favorite right now, but I don't see anybody else winning this. I really don't. Max Scherzer uh, is my NL Cy Young pick. Yeah, either do I. Uh, next up, we have the AL Rookie of the Year, Randy Arozarena. Yeah, at the All-Star break, I would have told you it's Adolis Garcia, hands down. But his second half, he's really struggled. Um, what Randy Arozarena has done is, is impressive. He, he came onto the scene in the World Series, obviously, in the playoffs, becomes the guy for the Rays. And he's just coming to this year and, and kind of under the radar, just had a great baseball year, a great year. He's hitting 274 with 19 bombs. He should get to 20 as a rookie. He's still officially a rookie. Um, so this is his, I think, this is his to lose now, I think. Adolis Garcia is at 29 bombs, but he's not hitting well this second half. So uh, Adolis, or Randy Rosarina is my pick for AL Rookie of the Year. Got it. NL Rookie of the Year, Jonathan India. Yeah. I mean, look, he plays a premier position. He's a shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds who are – potentially going to make the playoffs. And I, I've gone on record saying I have the Reds making the playoffs. And, and look, he's batting 273 with 20 bombs as a shortstop, as a rookie shortstop. I mean, this one, this one is a no-brainer for me, especially with Rodgers going down and getting hurt in, uh, with the Marlins. This one's a no-brainer now. To have a rookie come in and play such a premier position and hit 20 bombs and over 270, um, and if they make the playoffs, whew, man, uh, good stuff from Jonathan India this year. He's my pick. Yep, AL Manager of the Year, Kevin Cash. Shocker. I mean, I, I don't. I, the Rays amaze me every single year. They are always towards the bottom of payroll every single year. They're towards. If you look at the teams around them in payroll, they're the worst teams in the league, and the Rays are the best team in the American League. So I think it's a little bit of. I think it's everybody. I think it's the front office. I think it's all the coaches you have in the front office. I think it's the GM. I think it's the players. And I think it's Kevin Cash. And how do you, how do you not give it? They're the best team in the American League with a roster that it pales in comparison on, on paper and on a payroll to 
the, the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox and, and the Astros. And, and, and what he does is just goes out and wins with a, with a, with a it's, it's special, with a team that you wouldn't expect it to happen. So Kevin Cash, American League Manager of the Year. All right. Last but not least, NL Manager of the Year, Gabe Kapler. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the Giants are the first team in all of baseball to clinch a playoff berth. And they're a team that nobody thought would be anywhere close to the playoffs. And they end up being the first team to clinch the playoffs. Everybody thought this year was going to be the Dodgers and the Padres out in the NL West. Well, guess what? Gabe Kapler and the Giants came to play. And they came to play with a roster on paper that wasn't anywhere close to what the Dodgers have. But this game isn't played on paper. And what Gabe Kapler did with this roster is special. I, not only is he the manager of the year for the National League, he's done one of the best jobs that I've, that I've seen from a manager. I mean, Gabe Kapler was written off as a manager. Goes to Philly, he's this new hire. Does he know what he's doing? He's so analytical. What is this guy doing? They're terrible. They fire him. He goes to San Francisco and turns this team in, into a playoff team, into the one seed in the National League, most likely, out of nowhere. I mean, what a year. What a year for the Giants, and what a year for Gabe Kapler. Um, so he is absolutely my National League Manager of the Year. So thank you for coming out here, Conrad, and, and running through those with me. And that does it for who I think is going to have all these accolades across Major League Baseball when all is said and done. And we actually asked you guys this on Twitter, at FlippinBatsPod, and really the only consensus we all came to was that Shohei Otani should be the MVP. I saw a lot of Garrett Cole for Cy Young. I saw a lot of Walker Bueller for Cy Young. I saw a lot of Bryce Harper also thrown in there. So it's going to be really exciting. But one thing I know is that everybody needs to be following Flipping Bats Pod on socials. Uh, but every week on Twitter, we come out with a poll uh, for you guys to answer and to to be a part of this show. So make sure you're following Flippin' Bats Pod and you can be a part of next week's poll. All right, now let's get into extra innings. And I told you earlier in the show with the whole Francisco Lindor, Giancarlo Stanton drama that we had, it was all about sign stealing. It was all about tipping pitches. So what I want to do now is, is explain that in detail, exactly what's going on or, or just what's going on at all times on a baseball field. Now, Look, when, when I was playing, when I was coming up through college and even into pro ball, one thing we're taught is to find a way to pick up what the pitcher is doing. Find a way. He's got to be tipping. The majority of pitchers tip their pitches. That's just a fact. It's over 80% of pitchers are tipping in some way or the other. Can you pick it up? Well, the whole time, that's what we're trying to do. That's what you're trying to do in the dugout. Now what becomes interesting is, is how. There's certain ways it can be done. Sometimes when he throws a fastball, his glove stays still. Sometimes when he's throwing a curveball, his glove will flare out a little bit. That's one way to tell. There's a million ways to do that. Sometimes he's, his tongue will stick out on a fastball, and sometimes it won't on an off speed. Uh, there's a million different things that can be done. Sometimes you can't even pick it up from the dugout. You can only see it from home plate. You can only see it from second plate or second base. But then what happens is how do, how do we relay this? How do we relay it to the batter? Sometimes it's a whistle, as maybe the Yankees were doing, according to Franciscan Lindor. Maybe. He said, I'm not accusing anybody, but maybe. So what else can you do? Well, you can say your last name. There were multiple times where I'd be hitting where it'd be, 
Uh, for a fastball, they'd say my first name. For uh, off-speed, they'd say my last name. Come on, Ben. That means a fastball is coming. Come now, Verlander. That means an off-speed pitch is coming. That's just another way of doing it. Another way. On, uh, you look at the third base coach or the first base coach, sometimes they can see the signs from the catcher. They'll sometimes do something, whether it be say your first name or last name or do something weird with their, their pant leg, whatever it may be. There's a million ways to do it. But something else that happens is when runners get on second base. And, and what happens here is, is this is where it gets a little different. And this is what nobody sees happening. And, and I, a lot of people were getting frustrated hearing the thoughts of stealing signs saying, wow, what, really? Yeah, really? This goes on every single pitch of every single game forever. Now, there's a line, don't get me wrong, but this isn't it. This happens all the time. And what people, what I want to share is a few ways this happens. So if you're a runner on second base, for instance, I'm going to demonstrate what happens. So oftentimes you can be a runner and get out on second base, and you can pick up on signs either from the catcher or you can pick up on signs from what the pitcher is doing from behind in the stretch. Now, this is how you relay it to a batter from second base if you're the base runner. There'd be many, there's a million different ways, a million different sign stealing things going on, tips you're picking up on, ways to relay it to the batter that people just don't understand. So if I'm a runner on second base and I'm getting my lead and, and the batter's over there, instead of looking at, at the pitcher, I'm looking at the batter. I'm looking in the catchers, I'm looking at the catcher to get the sign, and then me and the batter are locked in on each other. Instead of looking at the pitcher, the batter is looking at me. And it could be as subtle as how do I get my lead? Whether I walk this way, if, I, if this is the second base bag and I walk this way to get my lead, that's a fastball. If I get the sign and I see it's an off speed, I could walk this way, get my lead this way. That's an off speed pitch. If I get my lead, and hold my right leg, fastball. If I see the sign off speed, get my lead, hold it with my left hand. It's very subtle stuff, but this happens all the time in baseball. It's all about picking up little things and relaying it to the batter. And, and that's what was happening, maybe. I heard that the uh, Taiwan Walker was tipping his pitches. The Yankees might have picked up on that, and the different pitches of the whistle were what it, was the pitch. Fastball is this certain whistle. Curveball is this certain whistle. And that might have been what is happening. And then Lindor picks up on it. Stanton gets mad that he picked up on it. But, but I want to reiterate here is that both sides are fine here. This happens all the time. So the Yankees pick up on something, great. They want to get it to the batter, great. The, Re the, the Mets see they're doing it. They're not happy, great. They have every right to not be happy. Fix, your, fix it if you're tipping your pitches. But, but this, is this is why I think it's okay, and I know it's okay, is because it's always happening. But both sides were frustrated, rightfully so. And, and, and it's just, it's the game within the game. It's what makes me love baseball so much, is the game within the game. Everybody's trying to get an upper leg. Everybody's looking for the flare of the glove from the pitcher in the catcher's legs. If his legs are too far spread when he's giving his signs, can we see the signals he's putting down? What does the pitcher do pre-pitch? Is he grabbing his hat a certain way to tip us off? But this is what's going on in the dugout every single pitch. 
is you're trying to pick up on something. And if you get to second base and you know the signs, you figure it out, you figure out how to relay it to the batter. In spring training, we would go over, how do you relay these signs to the batter? Well, what we're going to do is walk this way or this way. But this is baseball. This is the game within the game. This is why I love the game of baseball, because there's so much going on behind the scenes. And we actually got to see a glimpse of that in the Subway Series. With the Mets and the Yankees, we got a glimpse of what is going on between the players, between the teams, in the weeds of, of the game. Obviously, we see what's going on on the field. But Lindor gave us a glimpse of what's going on in the dugout. I heard a whistle. It was different pitches. I knew that's what was happening. And then Stanton's not happy that he picks up on it. But, but it's the game within the game that makes me love baseball so much. And I really thought that was a cool situation that we got to look at. And we got to hear from Lindor about it. And I just wanted to showcase what, what I learned throughout my career on, on the art of picking up uh, pitchers that are tipping. Um, and, and on the art of how to relay that to the batter. It is an art. It's an art. And, and it takes a lot of practice. And it's something that you learn growing up through the game. This is something that goes on. Obviously, there is a line, um, but this isn't it. This is part of baseball. Picking up on things, relaying it, then having to stop relaying it because you got figured out. That's baseball, and that's why I love baseball. And that does it for this week's episode of Flippin' Bats. Thank you guys so much for joining me. What an awesome episode. Thank you, Nikki Lopez, for joining me, a friend of mine. Uh, make sure you're following at Flippin' Bats Pod on all social medias. Uh, make sure you're listening on Spotify, on Google, on Apple. If you're on Apple, rate it five stars, please, and leave a comment. But make sure you're following on all social medias. On YouTube as well, this comes out via a video. So if you're listening only, head over to YouTube and you can see this segment and how I did it and how I showed you what was uh, ways to tip pitches and ways to give it to the batter. So that does it for this week's episode, and I will see you next time on Flipping Bats. A high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge backflip to celebrate.